I am Tom McNally. You are listening to Stuart Webb. Hello. And Marianne Hildrich. Hi. Hello. We are all here. We're all assembled together. We are going to talk about the latest issues of More Than Meets the Eye, 45 and 46, the Scavengers arc. Yeah, it sounds uh, like a fantastic time. Uh, Marion, as your new to podcast, what are your general thoughts on More Than Meets the Eye? Oh, it, it sucks. I hate it. I don't understand how you people read this book. Oh, we should have checked beforehand. We got someone who logs a book on. This is terrible. Well, thanks for joining us anyway. No, no, seriously. Um, I love More Than Meets the Eye. You guys who know me know I love More Than Meets the Eye. Um, I jumped on around mm, the time of Remain in Light. And uh, I've been here ever since. I'm very supportive. I can't wait for the next issue to come out and all that. Uh, and I love it a bit. And uh, personally, I love both these issues for different reasons. They were, it was really good to see the guys again. They covered a lot of things, both plot-wise and otherwise, character-wise. Obviously, I think the last few issues have sort of uh, been generally a bit bitty and uh, sort of one-off uh, little side set. It's also nice to have a good, strong focus to pass uh, that picked up on stuff for, what, uh, two or three years ago now? Hmm. Jeez, yeah. I think there's a much clearer through line than it appeared at first. I found 45 uh, a bit of... I was a bit suspended in my opinion of it because it seemed definitely like part of a whole. It's kind of why I find talking about uh, Robots in Disguise right now a bit difficult because it's things haven't really settled. Everything clicked into place and I've come to regard this arc this as sort of like a it's much more of a double-sized issue than any of the others. Uh, what I've forgotten whilst we read them, uh, by the first one for this podcast, uh, is just how funny the opening is. Yeah, the previously on Scavengers. Mm. What's that uh, episode of Buffy where they redo the opening credits to put the guests on when we get it? It felt very much like that. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one with um, Jonathan? They did did it with an episode of Tortured as well, but slightly less well. It does feel very Whedon-esque, got to say. Like, all these kind of throwaway gags that could be set up if they need to be. That shockwave comes back in one of them. That's that's amazing. What his arm? I didn't actually notice that until I read it uh, for this. Um, that's weird. We can assume it was at the, around the time of Dark Cybertron, I guess. Oh, that's how they experienced the shrinking of all time and space as mm. shockwave coming through their iPad. <laughs> I, I think I take that one panel over all of Dark Cybertron. <laughs> And of course, a toy photo as well. Yep, toy photo is nice. I mean, it was bound to happen at some point. Uh, unfortunately, Heart of Darkness uh, went there first. Did this? You actually remember what happened in I know. Heart of Darkness? I know. <laughs> That's why we have him on the podcast. He remembers these things. <laughs> uh, it's good. I like it. It's uh, it's funny. It's, it's about as much play as the concept really needs it's a cute story with whoever's toys they were i forget i saw some blog entry on it the picture is by maz and it's i really like the grass the grass is is a nice touch and uh, the fact that crankcase had his head actually chopped off for the shoot and then when the perspective trap comes up again in issue 50 we can all go oh, <laughs> see you know look it's a master of setup I mean, all the stuff after that's lovely as well with them playing a ridiculously stupid laser game I, I don't know I didn't, I didn't think the sequence worked that well because it's uh, it's a bit cramped it's it's a sort of a rare rare these days example of Milne I don't think he quite nailed it the way he, he tends to uh, I do like the, the concept of it it's a good reintroduction to everybody it seems that uh, when Misfire is talking to Grimlock and he talks about how you know the Dinobots were the thing that the Decepticons would scare new recruits with, that really reminded me of the hunting party. Do you remember the hunting party? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I don't think you'll know that one, though, will you, Marion? Because you've... No. Ah, you see, you've not, you've not only got to examine every panel with a magnifying glass, you have to have read every British Transformers comic twice <laughs> and made notes. Enlighten me. 
The hunting party was, I think, the only story we got in Marvel UK or US, probably, that was from the Decepticon perspective. It was just five pages, but it was like Spinister and I think Needlenose. Um, uh, and it was set up actually quite similarly to this with like a fake out play fight where they're shooting uh, Prime and Grimlock and Fort Max, but it turns out they're facsimile constructs and it's part of this training exercise. But they're being very chummy, and they there's just a line about how Fort Max and Grimlock is worth killing Optimus Prime. And it's just an interesting perspective of how, to the Decepticons, guys like Fortress Maximus and Grimlock would seem to be these unstoppable, unkillable powerhouses. Mm-hmm. And Fortress Maximus, who'd think he'd be a dangerous person to have around? <laughs> he's a total paper tiger in, in Marvel. Well, it sounds like a few of the characters are similar as well, so... You know, 1988 sort of characters. So, of course, that comic is very indebted to the uh, episode of the New Avengers. <laughs> uh, the training village. That is in the start of the Avengers film as well, actually, uh, where it's like a fake English village uh, full of fake people that attack you, uh, but you've got to try and survive and try to kill you. Wow, that, that's some that's some quality one-upmanship there, Stuart. That's good. <laughs> like that. I pull out the Marvel UK, you pull out the new Avengers. You, you can't just examine everything with magnifying glass and you can't just read every Marvel UK story twice. You have to have seen every episode of 1970s British television as well. It's, a, yeah, it's yeah. an evolved process. <laughs> We should say it's also out here, but in a throwaway gag, it's mentioned them uh, mucking about of Autopedia. It's a gag, but it's set up. Um, there's an interesting detail here about Misfire having a contact who's told him all about Garrus 9. And uh, this idea that Grimlock just kind of evaporated from his cell. Hmm. Which makes me think of the Necrobot. Why? Because he could do that kind of thing. He could appear wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted, you know, behind closed doors. And maybe the Necrobot was showing us that this kind of technology is possible. When when Fort Max is talking with Crankcase in 46, there's, there's definitely an effort to establish that the technology the Transformers are used to is very out of date. And that mm-hmm. things like the Tyrest Accord are kind of antiquated. Okay, so are you basically saying you think the Necrobot went in and grabbed... Grimlock. May, no, maybe not the Necrobot, but someone... Oh, similar bit, technology. Okay, I'm Yeah, okay. someone like him. But then again, we also learned from a previously on here that Shockwave's arm could appear anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is an interesting thing here, because I was rereading Last Under the Wreckers, and that's that it's, it's stated in the book that Grimlock had started losing it whilst he was still on, on Garrus 9, because Overlord forced him to watch all the footage. Of who what says was... that? Is it Cup who oh, says uh, that? It must have been Snare, must have been. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Is it Snare? Okay, yeah, Snare would know then. So he, so from Snare's point of view, Grimlock was made to watch everything. Mm-hmm, until he lost it, basically. Okay, that's interesting. That's worth keeping in mind. Mm. Also, Wreckers was, what, five years ago now? Jeez. Uh, this has been a long time brewing, this particular pop pop point. <laughs> Uh, did either of you listen to uh, the, any of the many Nick Roach podcasts that he's been doing to promote Sins of Wreckers? Yeah. No. So, I, I, I may have listened to all of them, in fact. Oh, well done. <laughs> uh, in one of them, he said that uh, IDW have been trying to, uh, trying to avoid using any of the uh, potential Wreckers sequels characters mm. uh, for quite a long time, but still leave them open for him when he came with him the second one. So I wondered if Grimlock was included with that. Hmm. So he'd have that sort of one issue in the last Scavengers 2 part, so I mean, that's basically that's been it for him, even after they brought all the other Dinobots back. I mean, I, I imagine uh, Nick Roach and uh, James Roberts, you know, talk to each other um, outside of the office, so I, I guess they can conspire that way. Nick has also been tweeting a lot about... Uh, writers doing too many panels and too much detail in their scripts lately, so maybe maybe he's not that pally with James Roberts still. 
<laughs> he actually said up to five panels. And ever since he said that, I've been counting panels on every single More Than Meets the Eye comic. Yeah, so, do you, uh, what, what's the, the average? It's six. And I'm looking now at the, at the page where the, um, the Wiganthropic principle uh, crashes on the, on the mountain, and that's one, two, three, four. Seven. <laughs> so it's definitely not on the on the artist friendly scale. That page yeah. doesn't quite work, I think, because it's so crammed. I I didn't quite the joke of it. I think was lost because of that. I, and the next page is actually nine. <laughs> well, that's a tight grid. I think that works better. Okay, and to be fair, the one after is only three. So <laughs> also, it has to be just three panels of the next page because. Uh... We're getting introduced to our fourth comic coming new toy. Yeah, totally works. Skullcrunch, you, you, we pointed out he's, he's, um, he's got a bit of a Peter K thing going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's deliberate, well, a deliberate satire of that sort of comedian rather than James Roberts having a terrible sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was hilarious, you guys. Seriously? The idea is quite funny. I think sort of a stock observational comedy there where he just says things everybody knows and expects them to remember it. And that is our infiltration protocols. What's all that about, then, eh? In this universe, that wouldn't be funny. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree, Marion. It is. I, this is a very funny page. But the kind of comedy I think being referenced is, you know, that's supposed to sort of elicit this kind of nostalgia laugh reflex. And yeah, that's the kind of I think that, that is the kind of comedy hmm. that uh, Skullcruncher peddles in. But that's that's a stroke of genius because Skullcruncher is a cannibalistic serial killer. Hmm. Well, I mean, also his audience appear to be people who've been victimized by the Decepticons over the years. So I'm not sure how funny that is exactly to them. <laughs> that's God going to do Holocaust jokes at a Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he's welcome. He's well. No one's ever done anything interesting with Skullcruncher, and this is the best that you could possibly get out of the Crocodile Man. Yeah, certainly. Uh, what do you think made him pick Skullcruncher? Uh, out of those, those new toys that he was presumably asked to start featuring, what made you? What do you think made him pick Skullcruncher for the stand-up comedian role? Well, again, I don't know which way round it goes. I don't know if like Hasbro sends them a list of stuff they have to do. I think a lot of this stuff gets done around tables, doesn't it? It's like they get invited out to Rhode Island or whatever. And uh, there is another toy we know is coming that gets mentioned at the end of this two-part, even though we don't see him. Oh, yes. Yes, we've had uh, the reveal on that since. Um, uh, yeah, I guess they just get shown the product of the next year. And I guess ideas brew. I think it's just weird. I think it's just a funny idea to have Skullcruncher be a comedian. I imagine, and, uh, the, I imagine the option is there for them not to use them. Yeah, it's sort of, hey, you got a nice comic property around here. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it, sort of a way. Yeah, probably uh, there's a bit of that in there. I just want to say, because I'm just noticing, sir, somebody at the archive was, wasn't happy with Skullcruncher being a comedian uh, because they liked his, uh, his tech personality, but he does have terrible teeth. That's how the way Don used to draw him in Stormbringer. Seemed to die, got better. It's... Well, Crankcase was there too, so... Um, uh, but I like the the nerve this strikes with Croc. That idea of, that you know, everybody has somebody who they went to school with who they still have an opinion of them that's probably a bit out of date. But mm. then you see them probably on Facebook or something, winning awards, thriving, parenting effectively... And uh, and you just you just can't reconcile those two people. I think it's also the fact that he's using Croc in his routine. Yeah, yeah he's really rubbing it in there. Yeah, Croc's quite a sensitive soul, isn't he? Yeah, so would you be if you were carrying a dismembered finger about from your best friend <laughs> all the time? Uh, that's basically just set up for Croc to be pissed off with his lot in life before Grimlock comes uh, barging in and really pisses him off. I like the the context of this that Grimlock is fitting. Hmm. I mean, it's it's good setup for what this story is trying to say. It's pronounced scavengers. It is a good bit. It's in a, it's in a couple of pages, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it, uh, it's the old uh, <laughs> comic convention of talking in your logo. I've seen that joke elsewhere. Uh, I just laughed out loud literally when I read this at the bit of Croc against the wall. It's also a nice synergy between the Milne and the Colorist here. As far, as far as the inks of this are concerned, that's a big patch of empty space. Like, that's something Milne hasn't been terribly comfortable with. I wonder if Grimlock destroyed that door, 
Bill does quite famously have an issue with how he was asked to draw a door in a comic once. Oh, God, not uh, the doors again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not utterly destroy that door is a deliberate bit of uh, an in-joke. <laughs> the latest barrage in the door war. So here's Demis, and uh, Demis looks a lot like Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so, of course, with uh, Demis, poor, poor Demis, is our first real look at, at the uh, militant monofor movement. Uh, this issue was the first place of confirmed proc car transform in IDW as well. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, uh, you talk about things potting, and that's all the way from Chaos Theory, isn't it? Yeah, just a hint here and there. I think mostly we've had to piece together what Triple M is all about. And there's also the guys in Delphi who are meant to be Triple M, but turn out not to be. Oh, uh, yeah, I like it. I like the way it's also twisted to be this kind of uh, endemic. It's this sort of OCD mm. uh, analogue. Even though it's sort of a funny scene that he can't watch from Transform, it does fit in with the overall theme of this two-part of psychological damage from this war. This yeah. guy turns out to be a villain taking advantage of other wounded people, and uh, even he has his mental health issues as well. Yeah, maybe there's an element of sadism to enjoying uh, locking people in a single form. I suppose then we're into the, what caused uh, a controversy at the time. Well, I suppose he still has something of a legacy, a, a Twitter controversy at least. How much of a, a real controversy that is, I suppose, depends on your sense of scale with uh, Demus offering to buy Grimlock. Mm, well, it started with the earlier scene, didn't it? didn't it? Well, we kind of skipped over the scene of Grimlock and Misfire having a conversation. Um, so that's, yeah. what, yeah. that's what started it. And, the, yeah, the, uh, the proposal was what sort of, like, triggered a follow-up reaction, really. Yeah, I should say, uh, our, our, our good friend, Mr. Warcry, on the archive... He was firmly on the they should sell Grimlock. He's too dangerous to keep around. <laughs> he'll just kill them all. Even if, if it gets better, he'll just kill them all. I mean, they're baddies. Of course, they should do bad guy things. I mean, the whole point of this story is that they end up not doing bad guy things. And that's, you know, interesting. I mean, I, I like that they had the votes. Because mm. yeah. uh, what I like is that the tradition would be, they would say, let's have a vote. And then... Then Demus will get thrown through the window before they can have a vote, so you don't know how it would be resolved. Uh, but no, they vote, and they all vote to, uh, well, majority votes to get rid of Grimlock. What's nice here is that I can totally believe that Croc would get rid of him just because he, he wants to, because he's jealous of Skullcruncher and that. But then when you get a bit deeper into it, the next issue, I can also totally believe with the finger and radar and Roadbuster and such, that Croc would want to set up a rehabilitation centre for damaged Decepticons. They both, they equally work well as an explanation. It's very uh, skillful. Well, it, both things work together. I think it's the fact that Croc doesn't really consider Grimlock one of them. So to him, Grimlock doesn't count. It's kind of reflected the other way when Max is very keen to call mm. Grimlock a Decepticon because of his present company. Yeah. Fortress Maximus is a surprise. Uh, well, it seems to be a surprise for a lot of people. As I was reading, a lot of people expected it to be DJD. She mentions the list specifically, which is the the real red herring there. Yeah, I'm on a list. People like me are on a list. That's mm. very provocative, isn't it? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm on record of not liking these kind of full-page reveals of a character who hasn't been it for a while. But this is an example of where it works. Because we've all missed Max. Come on, we've seriously. Missed Max. And we yeah, know who like... he is, and he has a context we're used to, and now this is a new context. And it is a pretty effective red herring. Mm. We're expecting the DJD... But then Fortress Maximus turns up. And even at the point where you see the, uh, the Tyrus Accord badge, um, I did have a moment when I wasn't sure who I was expecting. Because mm. it could have been any of three people. But depending on the timeline, because we're at this point in more than it's said that we don't, we're not quite clear on what the timeline is yet, do we? So it's behind where Robert, well, X Red is at the moment. So you're not quite sure where you are. But uh, obviously now it makes sense that, you know, we've read it all. But at the time, it, it could have been 
well, no, it could never have been Magnus, surely, but... Could have been ta- Star State. But it could have been Star Saber, exactly, yeah. He'd have definitely acted in much the same way, actually, just brutally murdering everybody. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think it means all the other first, uh, it kind of got lost. What a very dark satire on an ethical police scene, what Fortress Maximus does for the bulk of this super is. I mean, Paul Demus... He does have a gun in the first panel when he's heading off to face off whoever it is. But when he's being shot, he's clearly not got a gun and he's running away. The gun reappears when he gets thrown through the window. I'm not sure if that's an art error. The fourth smacks was thrown the gun in. It's Misfire's gun. Oh, is that not the same gun he was holding before? It might. It is next to Misfire on the above panel, so it falls. Or maybe it isn't, actually. There is a gun in the air. On the left of Misfire, as Demus goes through the window. Hmm. Fortress Maximus is prejudiced against Decepticons extremely, mm-hmm. in the way that we've seen a lot of over the last year. That certain American police officers are extremely prejudiced against uh, black people. Yeah, I mean, those those three panels of Misfire asking him who did this, and then him getting executed, and the badge going down. Those are that's really grisly. Hmm. It's like his teeth are coming out. So, yeah, that's a very good mill panel, actually. Yes, when you get shot in the head. Mm. And good placement of a of a sound effect as well. So obviously, there was all that first. Uh, um, those are sort of specified people who were talking about. The first was that them saying they would sell Grimlock was a demeaning treatment of mentally ill people. Well, and yeah, that's the point. Was that this was the actual message of the issue that it was an okay thing to do. I don't know, this is kind of why I'm reluctant to talk about this, because I, I can't summon the energy to even refute that point. It's like, I mean, I just, I just think that... I think that's just a misunderstanding of how fiction works. I mean, I understand that there's a case to be made that, oh, you know, responding to the larger problem of that, but then, I don't know, I, I feel this is a pretty good handling of these things, and in fact maybe bends over backwards to make itself sensitive... To, and you know, to make sure that its message is very clear. Granted, that all comes in issue 46, but I don't know. I just I don't know how you can misconstrue this and still like consume fiction. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to belittle anybody who was sort of genuinely concerned, or well, people who take rightly take these sort of issues very seriously. Yeah, uh, because but uh, I, it that is quite odd for people who. And I saw people with more of a BTI themed avatars on Twitter uh, and themed names uh, make, complaining about this. And I was sat there thinking, have you really never read any of this comic before? Do you really think the payoff next issue is going to be, yes, you should sell Grimlock? Slavery is good. As a commodity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even have an opinion in the sense that there's nothing there that's controversial to me in story. In story, I would I would completely expect these people to have this conversation, and why wouldn't they? Um, this is somebody who's been slaughtering them for millennia, um, and they and they've got him there, and the majority of them don't care for him at all, and that's that's been stated already. So somebody asks them to sell it to them for quite a lot of money. So you know you have to ask yourself why would they say no. Uh, sure, the war is over, but the war hasn't been over that long. Uh, but what I really appreciated there was the, the different opinions. So you've got Fulcrum, who is the voice of logic, uh, usually, uh, in the Scavengers books. Uh, so, you know, he's basically saying what you're thinking, which is, well, I'm, you know, I don't really even want to get into the specifics of this. I just don't like what this says about us. Um, you've got misfire who, for some reason or other, you know, for some reason or other, in the sense that you know you can question his motives. Does he really care about Grimlock? He does say this is about me as much as it is about him, you know. So, uh, for whatever reason, he doesn't want to go through with it. But it feels like a more personal reason than an ideological reason. Uh, and everybody else, you know, we find out what Croc's motivation is. But you can accuse him there of you know racism or whatever you want to accuse him of because his his point of view is skewed. Um, and the others just don't care. Uh, so I like the fact that we've got this this diverse sort of range of opinions there and what they mean to the people involved in story. Um, and to me, there's nothing controversial about this vote. 
or about the conclusion they come to. Um, it just makes sense. That's that's really well said, and it actually has made me realise that Fulcrum's name is a pun, isn't it? He is the Fulcrum uh, on which the other characters balance. He's the most reasonable voice. I think the Chidex pun. <laughs> which brings us into the second part of it. Second part with the lovely brush cover. It's um, the sketch one of Fort Max. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very Ooh, nice cover. Just really good body language. It's kind of stripped down Fort Max's design, uh, so it's a little bit easier to use and draw. And he's uh, got goods in his legs and everything. Uh, so, um, Red Alert's passing of Wreckers Declassified seems to come a bit out the blue. It's, an, it's a reintroduction to Red Alert and his wacky nuttiness, but do you think there's anything in it? It's joking about the way we fans overconstruct every single line of dialogue and it's picking something in universe that's already been established as having a cult following amongst the Autobots. So it's... I would suspect it's not anything more significant than that. Uh, I'm just glad to see Red Alert again. <laughs> uh, also, the 332 threw me a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, 332, of course, it's going to be 332. But it is mentioned in Last Stand as well. Um, the Iron Fist last um, data log was 331, and then obviously Verity writes 332, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what she's sitting in the, she's the Tennyson. Yeah, so it's not new information, this. I think there's one flaw with, uh, well, it's James's first ever sort of solo writing, is that in that he does really have a hover number thing. I think 113 gets mentioned like 10 times in five <laughs> paragraphs. In, in like room 113 and planet 113 and 113th cup of tea of the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got, he's got very um, uh, generous editors, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh... I, I read Bullets, actually, in response to this, because Iron Fist gets some characterization there about how fastidious and careful he is. And he also plays this long con game on Skyfall. There's a name it's hard to say about Smiley now, but, but uh, it could be significant. Or... Before I'd read Bullets, I didn't think that Iron Fist was up to it. But uh, Bullets very much says that he is. Uh, I, I will say that having just reread the uh, last time of the records on the original uh, single issues as well, not the hardback, there are no typos that I could see in the book. Oh. There is, there is one missing word at some point, I think. Huh. Which, what is the word? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> it was like the or something. Actually, <laughs> ah, well, the. Stuart, that, uh, what you said about how it's sort of a, a, um, a loving... Uh, a loving nod to fandom obsession. Actually, when the words were going missing back in World Shut Your Mouth, I think people were trying to put together clues from the numbers that were missing off of... Yep. Don't you hate it when people who have eccentric theories turn out to be right about <laughs> Hey, that's really too much into it. Oh, you were right again. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, that's why partly I'm, I'm really hoping wrong isn't special. Or like a super guard being, as uh, so many people seem to think. <laughs> um, so there's an interesting point coming up here, just about how weird and strange the Tyrest Accord is, and I'm glad that's sort of. I'm glad Red Alert is a bit confused by it because uh, it's something that's sort of grown in the telling, hasn't it, the Tyrest Accord? Well, one thing I would like to say before before we move on to that is that uh, part of the reason I'm so glad to see for Maximus and Red Alert back in the comic is that I wasn't really very happy with how they left it. I did always felt like a bit of a shove about the way quickly because you've got to move on to Dark Cybertron sort of a thing. And and this is actually the first time... I mean, if you haven't read the pro story um, at the end of Remaining Light, this is the first time you actually get to find out what's happened to Fort Max and the Red Alert, isn't it? Uh, amazingly, not everybody has read that story. And, I mean, to be fair, you shouldn't be expected to. For, for major plot points, you shouldn't be expected to read the, the pro story, should you? I disagree, but I'm not sure why. Well, I think the pro story was very much uh, we don't have time to wrap up this up. I completely understand the reasons behind it. And personally, I read it. I'm happy with it. No problems there. But, you know, it's not well, in think, the comic. I think James himself was surprised how many people didn't read it as well, wasn't he? I think he said mm. he, he probably wouldn't do another one after the... Uh, we have to read this reaction. 
may I interrupt just to say the colors on these pages are amazing? Um, the sort of the blue tones. Yeah. Yeah, even sort of red at the panels, the kind of switching between the between Luna One and Fortress Maximus's little ship. Yeah. And uh, I mean the you know the whole sky, night sky there, and the Max on the Mob. It's all just gorgeous. Yeah, with the silhouetted ship and a non-distracting starfield. You know how I like those, Stuart. Anything to do with stars that they get wrong, which you're very happy with. Well, it's not that so much they're right, it's just they're, they're well presented. Though I can see that they have, they've tiled this star field a couple of times. For that quite oh, yeah, clone tool. Good spot. Thank you very much. Did uh, Bill do the inks of this one as well? Uh, there's several inkers, and I think it uh, does I wonder, that, it. That star might not have been him then. Uh, it's not very nice, sir. It's always the colorist, I think. So, uh, interesting thing, just you know, to, when this gets opened, we're told a bit of editorializing, just in the um, narrative text. We're told, we're told that Fort Max it was definitely a summary execution. Definitely a legally dodgy one. I mean, <laughs> uh, as you said, the time rest accord really has never made any sense anyway. And it seems to be making even less sense now. He, there's no chief judge Tyrests anymore. On whose behalf is he enforcing these laws? Yeah, they have no prisons. They have no justice system. They have no lawyer. They, there's, there's no law. Um, he is just playing at policemen. Mm. But uh, there is a very scary line there, which is, you know, you don't have to actually wait for people to commit crimes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insane, isn't it? That's so weird. We needed too much Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is part of the the larger um, part of the larger discussion. Like, why are they? Yeah, you know, who in their right mind would let Fort Max run around <laughs> with a gun? Oh, good old Rodimus. <laughs> he's, he's psychiatrist to have any issues with that either. Well, I mean, it's the thing. Like, Rung can't really do anything. Yeah, but he doesn't seem to have any objection to it either, or be bothered. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. So what was your day like? Oh, that's nice. You freed some animals. <laughs> freed some animals. That's great. Uh, you didn't shoot anybody in the back of the head after you'd already defeated them, had you? Yes. Oh, poor Max, you guy. Uh, and I like that Fulcrum is, again, the voice of reason here. You didn't actually have to kill him. Yeah, and then he just, like, uh, willing to surrender. Don't bother fighting Fortress Maximus when he's got a gun. That's not a good idea. He's had his say. What really cracked me up this time is uh, Spencer going, ha, bad luck, guys, as if it's not him that's going to get arrested as well. I don't, I don't know why that made me really laugh. I think Spinister is by far my favourite scavenger. There is no competition there at all. I imagine him uh, with Gurr from Invader Zim's voice. I, I can see that, actually, yeah. I also like on the opposite page when he's uh, holding the metal tube of some sort up to his ear and listening to it like it's a C. <laughs> Oh, oh, he's, he's he's like it looks to me like a telescope. Yeah, or, or a gun scope or something like that. He's just oh, I, know, I can hear the sea. <laughs> <laughs> just very uh, into the sort of the, the meat of the issue. Once they've escaped and started uh, having a go at one another, where Croc's talking about poor old Radar and his team and uh, poor Radar health issues that they're all facing. I mean, again, we're seeing the Autobots from the other side, and uh, yeah, man, the Autobots are monsters, man. Mm, that's that's DJD grade evil right there. Yeah, to be fair, Roadbuster did get punished for doing that. He, he had to go sit by Springer's bed <laughs> and uh, read bedtime stories. <laughs> Uh, yes, this, this is this is the Roadbuster affair. Yeah, that the Iron Fist was really excited about, actually. Yeah, was it? spun in, amongst the Autobots to be more, to be less horrific? Well, of course, this is Croc's version of what happened, though, so how accurate do we think his memories are? Of... Uh, yeah, that is a very good point. And actually, my first reaction to this, if it hadn't been specifically for the Roadbuster affair mentioned that oh. we know is a thing, I, my initial reaction to this was he's misremembering. This was the DJD who did this, and he's just made up this completely different story in his head about how it all went down. Oh, man, I'd never considered something like that. Or but, that he's covering for Radar. But there is the mention of the Roadbuster affair, so it has to be real. Uh, of course, you said that, uh, about James and Nick, you know, pals around. We know Roadbuster is in Sins of Wreckers, so presumably this will uh, feed into that as well. Ah, yes, these sins that the Wreckers did. <laughs> yeah, I love all the gunk coming off Radar's spine as well. <laughs> 
wonder what they have spines. Oh, Ratchet had one. It's true. We saw, we saw that one, didn't we? I guess they're less important. They can be easily torn out. And... <laughs> they don't seem to be attached to the ribcage. Just, hmm, just comes out like a bit of spaghetti. No, why didn't send in a guy yeah. like Radar against the Wreckers anyway? That seems woefully... Um, they were all like that on Proxy, man. <laughs> wonder, it was a pretty quick massacre. That's a really good point, actually. Why would they send the Wreckers for this? Uh, I guess they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, mm. Maybe they were supporting someone a bit higher up the food chain. Maybe the wreckers were just got the wrong guys. Uh, I don't think it's impossible the croc was up to something incredibly dodgy. Right? Some infiltration scheme or something like that. Right? It looks a pretty desolately wrecked planet. It actually looks in the same colours as Varus Centralis, uh, where we know the wreckers were. Did you think croc was actually holding anything in his hand all that time? I didn't think there was actually a thing in his hand. I thought he had something, I just thought it was a thing. Not an actual finger. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by the finger reveal. I was not expecting that. Especially a finger that detects Decepticons. It's lucky that was like, uh, it's such a small and easy to carry body part, really. Oh, uh, this goes back to Beast Wars, but this whole idea of being able to detect Decepticon or Autobot sparks makes me wonder mm. why the war took so long. Uh, I mean, yeah. sparks when they signed up for it? It's like some sort of IFF signal or... Well, there's been this theories because there was the the, the major loophole with um, the end of chaos. Uh, how does the Decepticon know who's the Decepticon? And uh, one of the theories that have been offered is because of the way Decepticon badges are created. So spark casing is missing because you've used it up. So that that is part of how you can tell a Decepticon apart. Oh, because they've damaged their spark casing, they're more susceptible to this mind control thing. That's a Uh, good shout. It's a theory. Presumably they leak as well. So it's, yes, that would, yeah, that makes sense. Drift presumably never got his repaired. It'd be awful if they went to found Drift and they got stuck in an Empire Zone style situation. Well, then it's the same point, like, okay, if you can if you can detect a spark across space, like, shouldn't you just bomb them? Just, just shoot missiles at the spark signatures? Well, is it the case of that Autobots don't know how? I guess so. It's just a continuous crypto war. Mm. He does specifically say it only detects Decepticon signals. Uh, presumably can't detect Autobot ones. I guess it also explains why the surge uh, could happen. I mean, all the Decepticons would have needed would be some sort of Autobot equivalent of Radar's finger, and they could have hit every <laughs> every outpost across the galaxy. But it reminds me of how in Star Trek Nemesis, it turns out <laughs> that you can detect androids like Data from solar systems away. <laughs> and nobody's even slightly bothered. But, oh yeah, if there's a Data-like android on this planet all the way over there... Isn't it odd how we can never go anywhere stealthily? We're always being attacked with data on board. We should, probably should have thought of that beforehand. That's a, that's a serious design flaw. Your efficiency as an officer on a battleship. Every enemy yeah, of the Federation was equipped with a finger. Now, I, uh, I, I, I do like the fact that Misfire is being exceptionally insensitive here. Because I think it comes back to the fact that nobody is perfect. <laughs> Misfire's the, the sympathetic one, but then he really has a go at Croc just not not behaving how you want him to behave there and quite proud of himself for doing it he's like in your face well it's obviously this is they're hearing this of fortis maximus how much what he said about demus do you think is true here i think it's true from a point of view you know i'll tell you this has been done to these characters but how evolved in, was demus in it how much of a villain was he really did he really laugh at Fortress Maximus and go, no, 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 when he said he was going to arrest Sirius? <laughs> so maybe he didn't entirely know exactly what was going on, but he had a pretty good idea. Yeah, and Demas is a bit of a patsy for these new villains. It, it is really like after-the-fact justification, though. Yeah, he had it coming. It's... Yeah, Demas didn't really. By our values, Demas did not deserve to be executed on the spot, but... Mm. Um, he did some pretty horrible things to these people. Just before we started recording this, I, uh, was, I watched the Sean Connery film, The Offence, where he plays like a jaded police officer who's just had enough and beats a suspect to death. Oh. And they sort of examines all the issues of police violence and police brutality and how they get pushed through all the horrific things that they have to see and deal with every day into doing things like that because they don't have the support as they, they go through these emotional breakdowns. 
And it's very easy to read Fox Maximus in Chalk Holland's voice in that film during these scenes. Okay. Um, oh, you, uh, Stuart, you had a good point um, earlier about uh, how this is a metaphor for Transformers toys as a product. Well, yeah, it's like, who the hell would actually realistically want to transform a toy? They're horrible talk about toys of war and death and destruction and you're playing ripping these characters apart possibly it's a comment on the work practices of the factories where Hasbro make the toys as well oh yeah <sighs> I mean I, I am reminded about how you know Volkswagen have been very um, careful not to allow the Transformers license to come anywhere near them because in Germany they're a bit more sensitive to these sorts of things yeah and uh, when when you mentioned that on uh, on Twitter Stuart and then uh... James Roberts actually retreated you and said, yeah, good point. You know, nobody else has mentioned this. And my, my brain straight away went to the uh, manufacturing practices. And then this wonderful, lovely comic book became this horrible, horrible thing. I didn't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like very typical, more than meets the eye, emotional whiplash. <laughs> Since reading this, I have destroyed all my Transformer toys. <laughs> so this is pretty horrific, yeah. Roberts and Roche are very good at coming up with novel ways to torture their characters and i think this one kind of takes the cake i mean this is like a combination of locked in syndrome with war reparations torture porn hostile kind of oh it, it is pretty eugenesis though yeah good point not not to spoil anything for the readies yeah not not to say anything more on this <laughs> yeah, that that sort of the passage where of what happens to Blitzwing in Eugenesis, I think uh, uh, I think about that one a lot. No, I, I loved all that stuff in Eugenesis. So. There is a there is a bit though that is potentially interesting. Maybe the fact that the the process for this is first is to dent the teacog and then is to remove the Vox box, neither of which has happened to Grimlock. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, Grimlock can transform just fine. His Vox mm. Box is a bit damaged. Yeah, possibly. But, but he can speak. He can and he, speak. And he can scream, presumably. Yeah, he can roar. Mm. So he can Do you think the Roboid thing is directly connected to what's happening underneath the factory, or are they just some guys who've hired some space from him? Uh, it's, it's a bit of an eyebrow wiggle. I think we're supposed to draw those dots to our peril maybe but um yeah i'd say there's definitely a connection between grimlock the cog people and what demas is up to in the domestication well, he, well when he calls him up in the first issue he's presumably fortress maximus is there to to get him over that that's why he's phoning them up yeah and he's asking them for protection well obviously fortress maximus doesn't have the slightest clue about any of that if only taken demas alive and interviewed him done him a deal May, may uh, declare it a crime scene, maybe. Um, a lot of things he would have done if he was an actual policeman. Even if Demas was only doing this roboid thing, there must be a hell of a lot of other people involved with uh, transportation, uh, selling. Uh, there's a whole whole levels of criminality just on that one I mean, crime. Yeah, who's uh, doing the modification? So ne- next we move on to Croc's big speech. Do you think, Tom? there's any chance that the dialogue, not any of the art or anything else about this page, but some of the dialogue was altered before publication from its original intent specifically to address those issues that people were raising on Twitter? No. I don't think so. I don't think the lead times allow that kind of thing to happen. I think it would probably already have been printed. Uh, Marion did point out the issue did get delayed while we... Yeah, but Modern Meets the Eye is always delayed. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, they, they they print in Korea. I mean, it would have to be printed and it's got to be shipped to all the diamond distributors. That sounds plausible. What's interesting about it is how this just address every single point that the people on Twitter were, were upset about directly. Uh, if they'd waited for the second part of the story, all of their issues would have been dealt with exactly. Well, it's the peril of, of uh, serial storytelling. I, I think this is a bit heavy-handed. I think, uh, I think actually, it's this bit, it's this speech panel here. It's not just the labelling, it's the distancing. It's this idea that experiencing mental illness marks you as bad, different. That's, I, I, that's a perfectly agreeable sentiment and um, something that's you know, can't be said enough. You know, it, 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 that seems a bit like public service announcement. Mm, it's a bit preachy. 
if, if that had been cut off and we just say, show me someone who hasn't been affected by all the fighting, I think that's a very effective way of saying it in this context. I think given the uh, how misinterpreted the first issue was, I think maybe the reason why... Well, because I, I think maybe there was some changes to the dialogue here. And the reason I think this is specifically because it doesn't really read like James Roberts' dialogue. It reads a bit heavy-handed, as you say. Um, because the message would have always been the same, I've no doubt about that. Um, but maybe it was felt that there was a need to actually spell it out a bit more. Yeah, if the audience is going to respond in this in this way, then you know maybe the audience needs to be fed a little bit more uh, <laughs> uh, editorializing. It's not implausible that it was uh, that it was altered before just before publication. I just think that logistics um, would be difficult. Partly, this was a thing people were complaining about from almost a, pretty much a moment issue forty five was released, so he, he did have. Uh, if somebody felt there was a need to hold some dialogue, they had like a, a month to do it. So I suppose it's, it's not impossible. No, no, you're right. Well, again, yeah, Maximus really wants to beat the living crap out of Grimlock. He's got lots, so many issues here. Yeah, there's a sense that maybe he's been looking forward to this. Mm. So, uh, because there was a bit of discussion about this, do we think that actually when Max says, uh, you're a con again, he is saying that Grimlock used to be a Decepticon, or do we think that it's just a clever pun on the fact that he's a con because he was in prison? Ah, well, there's an apostrophe there which would say otherwise. I read it as Decepticon, to be fair, but other people seem to think, oh no, it was, you know, just a pun. I don't think it was actually supposed to imply anything. When Misha came out, I think Mary had said in one of her tweets that, oh, there's, there's a massive thread complaining about issue 46 so, already and I was like are people still going on about that mental illness thing there were four pages before the issue like, had actually come out yet which was just it, it's just about one line of dialogue near the end <laughs> uh, but apparently I'd forgotten this but uh, in, in shadow play uh, when there's a montage of things that happened in the past uh, when yeah. Rewind starts his story there is a bit where Grimlock's weighing up the two badges yeah, yeah, very literally. He's looking at one, he's looking at the other, he looks confused. Sorry, I believe a main complaint was that he contradicted autocracy. Yeah, but who cares about autocracy? Whatever its qualities, it, it's never really fitting with more with CI anyway, autocracy. It pretty much totally contradicts all of Shadow Play. So it's, uh, I would say, it's an issue, really. We are going on ten years now. It's We can have some contradictions. I think that's allowed. Uh, and then we get our heroes riding My Little Pony. Ah. <laughs> And it's daytime now. Oh, was it was it nighttime earlier? Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. And even the page where Max is on the map heading to the Wicanthropic Principal, the sky is sort of like dawn coloured. And I like the Equinoids. We don't really. There's one horse transformer, isn't there? Maybe two. There's Mac Kick. And there's Battle Unicorn. Hopefully, both of those guys are in here. Oh. Sort of, oh, what continuity there? I guess it's sort of Brave Star territory, but I wonder why we haven't had more horsey Transformers. I, I suspect it's quite difficult to do, perhaps. Uh, the giraffe ward is a complete mess. I don't... I don't know. If you can do a T-Rex, you can do a horse. Uh, and I like the fact that, you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we've made this point about the treatment of the disabled, but they are all still riding around <laughs> on basically like coma patients i guess it's it's like uh it's like optimus prime riding around on the corpse of uh, Sp- uh wheel arch spring arch spring arm yeah but very but uh, the green one in the front their eyes do look very focused i mean we don't know what exactly spincer's cure is did he do that to them on the fly it could be anything really you see is it well, i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into my face about lead horse does seem to know what it's doing <laughs> Well, Fulcrum does say I don't feel comfortable doing this. It's a very in-character and sort of a bit of a wink to the audience after the, um, the sermonising. The ship uh, is in the classic TV arc position there as well after the four years later guy give the last issue. Yeah, I don't really like that. Oh. <laughs> Am I alone? Am I alone in that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel it, it used up space and was a bit of a stretch. Um where this this issue had enough going on with it. We didn't really need to have that cute little gag. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that I'm being a grump there. Now, they've ever been to a big bluff. 
Uh, we get a mention of Cerebros as well, the forthcoming toy. So Cybertron's third best-known psychiatrist. Based on what the other two are like, God knows, he probably does homeopathy or something like that. Red Alert's motto, assume you're being lied to, bit similar to the Decepticons' rallying cry. You're being deceived? Yeah. Yeah, good spot, yeah. I wonder why he didn't join up. He probably got paranoid about stealing the idea from him. <laughs> Reading his thoughts. Well, the interesting thing is, though, that we don't... You know, he's labelled as paranoid, but given what he's, it's implied he's been through, he may not, in fact, be paranoid. Yeah, it's the curse of every, uh, of every paranoid in fiction, is that uh, mm. paranoia is a perfectly rational response to being in an adventure story. Yeah, all these characters should be hiding under the bed. Their lives are just a sequence of horrible, terrible coincidences that make no sense. And everyone is always conspiring against Lois. And, uh, and we get a, a payoff to the facial paralysis. Uh, a, a payoff to the Autopedia gag as well. Oh, payoffs everywhere. And I just want to point out how nice the design is of Crankcase's back. Crankcase is an ugly, ugly toy with a great big backpack. I really love Crankcase as a toy. I have it. It's one of my oldest held toys. But the way Milne has um, elaborated on his back is much nicer. It's the little things. Uh, so what about Croc's plan to go to, to turn their little group into a different kind of scavenger? I'm not potentially. It could be a nice, happy exit. For, if we never saw them again, that'd be a nice thing to him to go to. I said what's going to actually happen is we're going to run straight into the DJD in the source. Aww. Well, well, we are, we are meant to be seeing them sooner than we think. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, I agree this would be a nice send-off to them. I was actually, you know, people were calling for the scavengers to come in um, for pretty consistently for the past three years. I think it was... I, I'm really glad that they were saved until there was something actually really interesting to do with them. And I think this this concept of, like, turning them from this ragtag Firefly group... Because, you know, that's been done. We've seen that before. It's It's a nice idea, but it's nothing special. This is actually something really interesting. Uh, I've never seen this before. A bunch of uh, villain characters going on to go rehabilitate other villain characters. That's that's genius. I don't know. I'm half and half about it. I mean, the idea is lovely, but as with Misfire helping Rimlock, the question is, we don't, are these people qualified to help anybody? Hmm. Uh, I, I suppose they're the only people who are willing to do it. Yeah, so, you know, the, the thought counts certainly and the willingness counts but let's remember that this issue got all the not this issue actually the previous issue got all the flack it got because of misfire's treatment of grimlock and i think we can all agree that misfire's heart is in the right place is grimlock all he seems Maybe well, he's, uh, i didn't get this when i first read the issue because i didn't remember where that symbol came from uh, we've been beaten over the head with it so many times recently yeah, my, my memory fails sometimes. It's almost like this should be the end of the issue. And we should have had the, the bad, other bad guys show up first and go, ooh, we're the serious villains. And then reveal Grimlock's sword their symbol on the wall. You're right. It's a bit of a um, of a misfire. Ha-ha, um, that final page. The, the symbol isn't totally apparent. You're just like, oh, who are these guys? Oh. Okay. Who is it? Grimlock's faking it, man, and he's actually as part of some evil plot, or is no. it just coincidental, residual of whatever what you went through? I think if Grimlock's faking it, it kind of undermines a lot of what this issue is trying to say. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say he's... I'd certainly not say he's faking it, but when I when I read that line, the thanks, I appreciate that, I wasn't 100% there that that was Grimlock speaking. Well, if some sort of alternate personality, if somebody's trying to put into him, it occasionally seeps out. It felt off to me. I suppose it's. I guess it's supposed to, isn't it? It's supposed to be out of character and out of nowhere. I mean, Misfire's reaction says that. Well, speaking of uh, characters acting out of uh, perceived characters, Spinister's note. In fact, two of these guys. uh, It does pay off the idea where Fulcrum and Crankcakes. Uh, we're talking about fig- fixing Crankcase's hair to get his spinisters into this. Yeah, spinister could have done it any time. But the, the, the capital letters in spinisters' notes might mean something. 
No, um, apparently. Uh, it, it's not meant to mean anything. And I went wrong, of course. Well, most useless psychiatrist in history. <laughs> oh, tell, tell me about your... Oh, you, you saved some people, and you only killed one person today, Fortress Maximus. That's great. You keep up that. That's like a big step forward for you. <laughs> As a policeman. In Rung's defence, he's the only psychiatrist left, it seems like. Him and Cerebrus. It's not like there's a community. I mean, he's he's kind of operating in a vacuum. Whatever worked or whatever was uh, reckoned to work four million years ago, that's what he's got to go on. He can't can't actually do science. He can't correct himself uh, according to new findings, because there are none. What I thought was interesting, actually, the uh, script for World Shut Your Mouth, uh, in James Roberts' notes to it, during that scene for Rung and Megatron, the notes basically say about three times, this is bad psychiatry, this would never happen, this is a terrible thing for Rung to say, but I needed him to say it for the plot. Yeah, well, the function of a psychiatrist in fiction is very much to, you know, access characters in a way that they wouldn't necessarily do. He didn't really help Red Alert. It's almost, Fortress Maximus is now on road to recovery, with his thanks to the scavengers, not Rung. I don't think we've seen Rung do anything effective at all as a psychiatrist, except possibly turn up slightly too late to stop uh, Floyd messing with Megatron's mind. Well, he did calm down the Fort Max situation in issue six, to be fair before Rodimus made it ten times worse. That's what he needs, people to tie him up and point a gun at his head, then he's effective. If he was effective, then I guess he could, you know, really... He could kind of diffuse all of the conflict on the Lost Light quite handily. I mean, you've pointed out that Ratchet was able to be more effective in a day. Yes, uh, Ratchet does it better than Rung does. But (laughs) but Rung isn't really anybody's friend. Ratchet was able to do that because he had levers and everybody because... um, because they liked him. Rung doesn't really have any inroads to anybody, ever. That's kind of his whole deal. He, he's a, like a, his superpower is being a wallflower. Mm. Clinical detachment is supposed to be a good thing for psychiatrists, though, rather than personally involved. It's just... I, I was just going to say, you're not supposed to be anyone's friend. That sort of defeats the point. Good point, good point. And I suppose a lot. If, if Ratchet was acting in a medical capacity with what he did, a lot of it would be very unethical. A lot of lies and tricks and um, <laughs> playing people off each other. It's quite Machiavellian, even if he did have a... He was successful, and it was a... He, um, his heart was in the right place. You'd get struck off a board if you tried to do that as psychiatry. We get our final mystery page. Yes, with the mystery people, with the mystery pods, with the mystery hands. My memory was, actually, of the first Scavenger Sea Pass, and they took the, the symbol ship at the end. Yeah, I thought uh, that was so the case as well. So I was a bit confused as well. Yeah, yeah, it took me a little while to, to decode this page. Um, but yeah, so we got some people wandering around in a big old symbol ship, mucking around with humans in pods. They look quite like the hand mines from the first episode of this season of Doctor Who, just with a a sort of glowing eye thing in the middle of a palm. Some people have uh, mentioned uh, Sari from Animated. She had something similar, didn't she? Oh, yeah. uh, They they do look kind of like lockdown, these guys, don't they? It's a sort of similar design ethic. Yeah, first read, I did think it was lockdown. Um, Yeah. I think uh, the Milne spikes have been set to maximum. Who do we think they are, then? Well, who can Some say that? <laughs> I guess they're... Big, exciting mystery. I guess they're the ones uh, sending maps to people in their sleep or in their quiet moments. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So if these are the guys who are influencing Grimlock in some way... Yeah. And they've been influencing Thunderclap Clash... Yeah. And Rodimus... Yeah. How deliberate is that? Is he saving for something... I mean, I, there could be any number of uh, hand-wavy, uh, science-y, fiction-y sort of explanations for any of it, so 
it could go anyway. Yeah, but they seem surprised by what's happened here. Uh, yeah. They don't know yeah. straight away, yeah, we need what's happened. So, presumably, they're not able to watch through Grimlock or whatever it is they do constantly. Yeah, they certainly don't seem omnipotent or all, even all that powerful. Yeah, but they're instantly abandoned the base, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, so they're twitchy about something. They've got some grand architect, if you could be anyone, someone we know, someone we don't know. Hmm. Mm. I suppose if we're ticking off old continuity points uh, that have sort of not been touchable on, uh, Scorpionox still out there, and unexplained. Yeah, and uh, we've seen humans in pods back in Infiltration. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Though these pods are quite big. It's going to be Shockwave, isn't it? It's going to come back. To come okay. out of the iPad. Wouldn't it be awesome if that was actually how he came back? Just <laughs> <laughs> sort of casually. <laughs> it happened even previously on segment with Scavengers. That was his return. So, this more than meets the eye two part of the Scavengers. How do we feel about it? Uh, I thought it, uh, this uh, these two parts of the previous issue were a really sort of... After a few issues of uh, average... By the standards of more than BTI issues. Uh, this felt like sort of a kicking into gear again. Not really that connected to the main ongoing plot still, but it's interesting, good stuff. That's obviously raised a lot of questions and uh, was a very enjoyable read. Well, like I said at the beginning, I absolutely love these two issues. And it's because uh, I think the symbol ship and the whole Grimlock mystery and where he was discovered was one of my favourite bits in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fact that we're visiting this now was just really brilliant. I like Grimlock a lot, and I wanted to see what was happening with him. So it's good to have him back. I always like how the scavengers are written. Uh, I think the banter between them is just always really well done. Um, and I think it moved the plot forward. It was quite entertaining. Um, and um, we don't know yet, obviously. Uh, but uh, I have this theory that uh, pretty much everything we've, uh, we've been reading about so far it's all going to come together in uh, in 50, um, in the season finale. So I'm, I'm kind of like waiting to see how this is going to all tie in. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There does seem to be a purpose beyond Bitty Adventures, um, which is definitely seems to have quite some momentum going for it now. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought this two-parter was excellent. Uh, I think that it was worth waiting for the right idea to bring the scavengers back i'm glad that they haven't been regular characters um i like that they've been transmuted now from this firefly bunch this sort of um avenging um mental health crew i think that's that's inspired the thing which surprised me most was fortress maximus's involvement and his plotline, which I think was developed very well. I'm not that invested in Grimlock uh, in IDW, and uh, this made me care about him a lot more. I wasn't that really taken in by the symbol ship and Grimlock in the first Scavenger's story, and this has actually made this has made me really interested. Oh, and some lovely art, and as you say, Marion, as you um, brought my attention to. Uh, really good colouring in this one. I've just realised issue 15 or around then is going to have a moment where the day is saved by a stampede of roboids, isn't it? <laughs> All these Maximus of them will come over the hill at a crucial point and kill the DJD, <laughs> the resurrected Scorpion Arc or Shockwave's arm, his time travelling arm. Is it going to be like Argon at the end of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Saving the day. <laughs> I, weirdly, I guess uh, the thing with the Royboids sort of negates the whole need for a beast planet. If we need a beast former uh, transformer at some point, we can just de-domesticate one of these guys. We don't need to have them come from a weird primitive planet. That, that would explain the way Rat Trap talks as well. <laughs> Aww. Tom, is there any particularly agronious uh, science details you want to pick apart in this two-parter? Because there's, there's usually something. Uh, no, actually, you know, weirdly, when Croc talks about psychology, he says, we are our brains. If something is wrong with our brains, then something is wrong with our mind. 
In ah, t- you're thinking about does it apply to Transformers? Well, that you know that applies perfectly to humans. Uh, uh, it, it's interesting that there is within <laughs> Transformers philosophy there is this sort of uh, neuro-oriented bent that Croc subscribes to, but we know, as readers, that he's wrong. What does mental illness mean to a species that can take their heads off? Yeah, the metaphor breaks down fairly quickly. But, I mean, you just got to you know, treat your readership with respect and know that they can play along for as, long as, the, for as, as far as they need to. And if there's one thing we've learned from all this is that if you treat your audience with respect, only some of them will hand you off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think we've wrapped up More Than Meets the Eye 45 and 46 for now. Uh, I am Tom McNally. Well, I, uh, I'm Marion, um, and uh, thank you for having me over. Stuart, who are you? I'm uh, Stuart Webb, and where you've uh, heard this, uh, there is um, a link to a discussion thread where you can leave any feedback if you uh, would like to tweet me I'm at Inflatable Dalek and I'm Mort on Twitter which is double M-O-R-T-A-H excellent if anybody wants to get in touch or ask any questions or tell us what horrible horrible ableist monsters we are uh, you can farewell everybody thank you for listening to Podcast Maximus and hopefully we'll uh, you'll be hearing from us again very soon farewell bye 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 Bye.